Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, today I have Benji Graves on the show. He is a pastor at Vision Community Church in Marcy, Idaho. How are you doing today, Benji? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So why don't you give us a little background of yourself so people can be familiar with you before we get started? Well, yeah, my name is Benji Graves. I'm originally from Alaska, down here in Marsing, Idaho now. We planted a church here about 20 years ago, and um, my wife and I were on the road doing music evangelism, teaching stuff, publishing things, all kinds of stuff for about 13 years before we came here. And uh, yeah, we still travel some, but we're kind of settled a little bit here in Marsing. So how you got connected to the Scott Horton show is interesting to me, and it's going to be interesting to folks listening who are part of the Libertarian Circle. Um, you pastored William Griggs and I'm a little bit familiar with him, but this is how you got connected with Scott Horton, right? Yeah. Will Grigg was a good friend of mine. He, um, he, uh, also had a mutual friend. I met him through a mutual friend, uh, Scott Watson, who also was mutual friends with Scott Horton. So, um, uh, that's how we ended up, uh, uh, I ended up on the Scott Horton show. Uh, Will Grigg was a member of our church here and, and just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Well, it was interesting to come across you on, on, on his podcast because, and I listen to Scott Horton quite a bit. I love it. I love his show. And he's, he's just being from, he's from Texas too. So he's a little snarky and I get a snark when he's talking to people <laughs> on his show. So I, and so I'm laughing with along while listening to him because he's, I get the Texas snark. I, I, I catch it pretty quickly. And I, I looked up some stuff on William Griggs. Um, he was part of the John Birch Society wrote for the new American. And I was, I was once part of the Birch society as well. I was a Bircher and he had a falling out with them as, as I did too. And I think it seems like he had, he kind of woke up to what was going on. And I think that's what happened with me too, because the John Birch society to me is just too status. Yeah. That was my understanding from Will. I, I didn't know him during that time period. He was already past that when I got to know him. But uh, my understanding, and, and, and Will was a um, tremendously principled individual, um, and uh, the lack of consistency or, or an abundance of compromise, whatever, uh, either one, uh, would be hard for him to handle. So Yeah, and we were talking before we started recording about he took a red pill, and the red pill is funny to me because, as I told you, Fox News had a Facebook post. And Elon Musk is trying to get out of California and move to Texas because California has too many restrictions on what he's trying to do. And he said, and he, I think it was a tweet that, on Twitter, and he's like, red pill? And Republicans jumped all over this. They're like, he's going to start voting Republican now. He's a Republican. He's taking the red pill. And I was like, wait, that's not what it means. <laughs> yeah, he got saved, yeah. <laughs> he got saved in California through Fox News. It's amazing yeah. how, how this works. It's evangelistic Network, the Fox News Evangelistic Network. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> like TBN, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people think that's the Christian station. So Yeah, yeah I used to watch TBN quite a bit. And I would, I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is how it's supposed to be. Now looking back, it's like, this is gross. It's so cheesy. Yeah. yeah. It is so cheesy. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, I think his name is, uh, Charles Stanley. I think he's a Baptist preacher. I would, I, I really like, like listening to him because he's a good teacher mm-hmm. and I, and I would listen to him, but I, I would catch him on the, on the TV and network. And that's how I, I started watching. But some of the stuff that goes on on that, channel is just yeah, there's there's some nutty stuff oh <laughs> it's frustrating so listening to your conversation with scott and even back in my uh voting my active voting days i always had a sense of individualism like that's what drew me to anarchy was the individual but even then and i know now that it was stupid to try to read 
think that we're going to get to the individual through a political party. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know if it's something that I grew up with, something I was taught, something my mom taught me, but individualism has always been very important to me. And that's what drew me to anarchy. And when you were talking to Scott, you said, you mentioned how you can reason with an individual, and I love that because I truly believe what we are doing is going to have to be a one-person-at-a-time approach. Talking to a collective, it's almost impossible to reason with them. Right. Any success in the individual approach. Yeah, and that is the red pill, blue pill um, concept. It's, it's uh, you know, the the coming from uh, the Men in Black movie and all that, that, you know, the, the person is intelligent the 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 collective the group is paranoid uh crazy and blind you know um there's a lot of truth in that and and groupthink has a certain momentum that's hard to get around and and it's supported so much by uh things like the news cycle and everything else that you're competing with that and that's why i think that the most important thing is to individually be able to get people to ask the right questions we think the trick is to give them the right answers which is nothing wrong with that. And certainly facts are good. Information is good, but it, it needs to be aimed at getting them to ask the right questions of themselves. That's what changed me after all the years and early 2000s before, before the early 2000s, I was a, you know, card carrying neocon evangelical. And, and, um, then things started to shift there in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, I voted for George W. Bush the first time in 2000 and then, <laughs> That didn't go quite like I planned. And um, and that's when I started to go, wait a minute, there's there's problems here. So that was the questioning moment. So I think when we can do that with an individual and that came from people who, you know, told me things that at first I probably reacted to uh, with animosity. Um, like, how can you even say that? You know, the, the classic if you don't love this country, leave it, kind of go somewhere else kind of mentality. Um, Why don't you move to Somalia? Yeah, 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 or name something better. I, you know, that's just not the point. You know, if anything that thinks it's above criticism is uh, missing the point. And so I started to look at that and say, wait a minute, some of this stuff just doesn't line up. And then, of course, ultimately, the most important thing is it didn't line up scripturally. I was looking at what Jesus said, and I was, I was, um, you know, um, looking at that. And I've come from Alaska too, and I, I, I think it's probably not unlike Texas. You know, kind of the uh, tough guy. Um, you know, you punch me in the face, I punch you in the face, kind of deal. And and uh, that didn't really reconcile with Scripture either. And then I looked, hey, we're living that out nationally, you know. Um, and so, how can I support it there if I don't support it, you know, individually? So I, I think those things are important to get people to ask, to get them to ask the right question. Well, it's funny you say that because somebody told me yesterday on one of my Facebook posts, he goes, no, Jesus punched people and he turned tables on top of them and whipped them. I was like, no, he didn't. He Where did are, you, not, yeah. are you getting this from? <laughs> he didn't. Well, they, love, they love to go to that. Everybody loves to go to Jesus turning the tables. And yeah, they were making a mockery of, the, of his father's house. He said they were. You know, they were doing all these things. And, and he certainly had uh, ability to express anger. His Bible says, you know, be angry and do not sin. Um, you know, he wasn't sinning, but uh, he was angry. But he wasn't punching anybody or beating anybody up or f dropping bombs on him or anything. Well, they're, they're also <laughs> like to say, well, what about he said to sell your cloak and buy a sword? He told us to buy a sword. I was like, well, yeah, but there was a, there was a specific reason why he said to get a sword. It wasn't to go army. When, and, and you can see it when he immediately rebuked Peter for cutting the Roman soldier's ear off. And then he healed the Roman soldier. Yeah, and that's, that's the context. You know, that's where you look at it. He said, you know, this is, this is not why I came. And you see Jesus before Pilate, you know, and they have, uh, you know, Pilate saying, I could release you. And he said, you'd have no power if my father hadn't given it to you from above. You know, this is basically part of the plan. And Pilate seems to kind of be struggling with the whole thing. And then he even goes in and, and says to him, that's in, in John 19, he says, you know, uh, away with him. The people are saying, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. You know, and that's just such an amazing statement to me. And that's what a lot of people are saying. They're saying, we have no king but Caesar. And a kind of a funny, funny story. I was at a, um, a fair uh, with a friend, well, Scott Watson, same guy I mentioned earlier. <laughs> And Scott just, there was these two young kids, I'm probably 10 years old. And, and Scott said, what do you, what does it make you think if I say no King, but Jesus? And these two kids go, yes, absolutely. And then they paused for a minute and they go, well, and Donald Trump, you know, <laughs> and, and we just laughed and laughed. We said, that's just so perfect because it's exactly what we're talking about. You know? Well, when you look at, I don't know if you, how much time you spent on Facebook, but if you go 
And look at a Franklin Graham post. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of speaking to the individual because I think there is some kind of, we, we, we're making progress that way. But if you jump on a Franklin Graham post, man, it's almost like these people are doubling down in their support of the state. Yeah, it's really discouraging. It, Franklin Graham is one of the ones that has been the most discouraging to me, actually, in the support. He's not his dad, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and it just—it's just, it's just um, you know, I mean, I think a person could come out. I, I'd still disagree with them, but you know, they could come out and say, you know, I'd say I have—I have a little more respect for people who were who voted for like Donald Trump out of fear of, of Hillary than I do um, those who just acted like he's the Messiah. You know. Um, oh, see, that's something we we talk about. We've talked about this on the shows. It, so when Barack Obama was was elected. And the way that people were just in love with him, I was like, man, they're treating him like the Messiah. He's the, he's the next coming of Jesus. But you know what? Looking back, they didn't have nothing on how Trump supporters are, in my opinion. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, you know, there were a lot of people with there were a lot of people that a uh, little delusional with Obama with the whole idea of, you know, he's going to get into office. He's going to buy us all free houses and stuff. You know, um, but this whole thing of, of Trump will save us is, uh, you know, it's like those kids, obviously they heard this at home or whatever. They say, yeah, we have no King, but Jesus. Well, and Donald Trump, you know, um, obviously they're young kids and it's, it's pretty crazy to put those two people in the same sentence, Jesus and Donald Trump. But, uh, um, but their parents probably do, you know, their parents probably are. And they're just going, this is it. And when you hear somebody saying, you know, it's all about this next election, everything rides on this next election. There's, there's, you know, that's, and these are Christian people saying, you know, that this is all about the next election. And I keep going, no, it's not, it's not about the next election. It shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't think that way because the bottom line is it comes down to where's your hope and where's your trust. If your hope and your trust is in that, if you're reacting out of fear, you just really don't understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Well, and Jesus was very clear. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. If it was, my servants would rise up and fight, he says. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I want Christians, and that's what we're trying to do with this project, is to get Christians. I'm not so much interested in trying to convince a non-Christian, because my frustration, when, when I was toying with the idea of doing this podcast, I didn't know what direction we were going to go. I sent out some feelers to say, to see how people would respond to it, but at the whole time, my, my frustration with Christians was just growing and how they were responding to the state. And I just, I, I want Christians to step back, take a look and compare what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount and compare it to what the United States government is doing. There is no correlation whatsoever. Yeah. And that's back to where is your hope? You know, um, you know, it's not in our hope should not be in chariots, horses or chariots or these things. I mean, our hope is supposed to be in Jesus Christ. And and um, you see this kind of amazing um, uh, thing happening in the, in the New Testament because people kind of forget that they were under tremendous oppression from the Roman government, from, you know, the, the conditions were quite, uh, you know, they weren't exactly uh, favorable toward the church. And yet, that doesn't seem to be very deeply on their mind. You know, they're just really focused on, on kingdom ideals. Well, have you noticed, and with the upcoming election, have you noticed a trend away from politics by Christians? I mean, the reason I ask is because I have mixed feelings about this. Going back to the individual, I have noticed that move. But if you jump on, like I said, on a Franklin Graham Facebook post, it's almost as if the collective had doubled down on their support for the state. But just in your congregation, maybe, or, or talking to folks, you know, outside of your church, have you noticed any kind of move away from that, like a trend away from politics? A trend away, not as much as I think it should be, but there definitely it's not the same as, as 2016. Um, and, of course, I, I have my own microcosm here. One of the things, though, is we do here in our area, Idaho in general, uh, big Republican state, um, in our particular area of Idaho that we live in, uh, Democrats are practically extinct. Um, and that almost makes it tougher in a lot of ways because it's just such an accepted norm here. So I see a little less of the Donald Trump will save us. It's all going to be great. And I see a little more of a necessary evil kind of approach to it. But what you said is exactly true. The individual, I can have this conversation, the same conversation I'm having with you right now. I can have this conversation with almost 
any individual that I know. Uh, um, the people in our congregation I tend to be um, pretty close to. It's a very relational mode of pastoring here. And and, uh, and so most of them I would call close friends. And uh, and so I could have this conversation. I, I can't even think of anybody right now I couldn't have this conversation with. Not that there are many that don't agree with me, but there are many I could have this conversation with. And by the end of um, that conversation, they would largely on many points be agreeing with me on the stuff that you and I are talking about right now. Um, talk to them two days later after they've gone back and watched the news cycle for a while and talk to some of their other friends. And it's all back to, it's all about the election in November. The most important election of our lifetime. How many times have you heard that garbage? Well, they all are. I've never had one that wasn't. And, uh, um, I mean, I'm saying they think they are, but, uh, yeah, it's the most important election of our lifetime. We're all going to die. Um, you know, if, if I say anything criticizing anything Trump has done, then they immediately go to, um, you know, oh, then you want to, you want Biden to be president, which is just ridiculous. You know? Oh, I got that. I got that message not too long ago just through Facebook. And she's like, so you're all against Donald Trump. Does that mean you want Joe Biden in office? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and I, I, how many times I've been in a debate with a with a conservative, and I, I use the the term conservative loosely because these people are not conservatives. If you're supporting Donald Trump, you're not a conservative. I mean, period. But I think they all suck. Yeah, I'm an I'm an anarchist. I I don't my my king is Jesus. I'm following that guy. Right. I'm not going to follow Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, anybody. None of they all suck to me, and they they have. Uh, nefarious plans to to steal my liberty, and I, I take my liberty very very seriously because I fully believe that that God created us with this liberty. So why would I not take it seriously? So I stay away from all that because if I'm going to put my trust into a a flawed human being to save me or to protect me. Man, come on. I'm going to die. I'm just going to follow Jesus. That guy has a better idea than any of these others do. And that's the, that's the way Christians, in my opinion, should be viewing politics. Yeah. You go back to 1 Samuel um, um, and, you, you know, where they're saying, you know, give us a king. We want a king. And they're demanding a king, um, you know, in that setting. And, and I've got on, the, on my YouTube channel, one of the messages there is choose this day, give us a king. And it's about that because – the same thing is happening right now, and I'm trying to get people to understand that. You know, their reasoning was, give us a king uh, to rule over us, and why? So we can be like the other nations. You know, I mean, like, that's a great idea. And um, and they've been led by prophets. They've been led by the Lord for, for many, many, many years. It wasn't that far back in history when the whole give us a king thing happened. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they say, give us a king to fight our battles for us, all of this stuff, because we want to be like the other nations. Um, and, and it's the same thing. We're still just crying out, give us a king. And the, and the irony was they were telling Samuel, they're saying, you know, give us a king. We want a king. And they already had a king. They had the best king possible. And that's true of the church today, of the body of Christ. I mean, they say, okay, give us a king. Well, we have a king, you know. Um, we have the best possible king that there is. And uh, so we're not lacking in a king. Um, we have one. We just seem to want a human king to tell us what to do, I guess. So When you mentioned First Samuel, and, and God laid out what is going to happen when you ask for a man-made government. He lays it right out. Yeah. And it's, it still holds true today. It has not changed. Everything he said when he told Samuel, this is what's going to happen when you ask for a king. I'm already your king, but you're asking for a man to rule over you. This is what's going to happen. And it's, it's so clear. And when people push back against us as, I don't know if you're, if you claim to be an anarchist or not, but, as an anarchist myself, they believe that we've always had some sort of man-made government. That's not true. God did not create man-made government. Man did. Right. He demanded it. And, um, and uh, you know, and the anarchist thing, that's, you know, I had to look up the definition, actually, when I started listening to your show. <laughs> and by the definition, it's, it's not, you know, everybody always thinks that that's a bunch of people joining a gang to have a riot or something, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, and obviously it's about, uh, not even just self-governance. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about self-governance. We're talking about godly governance. Um, you know, we're talking about the Lord being, uh, the leader of our lives, the Lord being the one that, uh, that we follow. And, and like I said, we do have a King, we have the best King possible. So I, I basically call it scriptural governance. It's just, it's just biblical. 
um, that we have a king. It's not like we're we're totally undirected or something. We have much direction. Well, as I was transforming or, or transitioning into anarchism and understanding what it actually meant, not what Fox News is, is calling anarchists, because those folks are not anarchists, by the way. I mean, I don't care right. what Donald Trump says. I don't care what Sean Hannity yeah. says. Those folks are not anarchists. When I was started studying anarchy, and as a Christian, I was like, wait a second, this kind of goes together. When you can compare what anarchism is and compare to following Christ, it's, it's the same. I mean, in my opinion, the early church, they were anarchists. They didn't call, they didn't call themselves anarchists, obviously. But if you look, if you go back and look at how they uh, responded to the state, they had no use for it. I don't know if you're familiar with Tertullian. I love this guy. He was so non nonsense. And he even a letter he wrote to the Romans, he's like, we have no interest in that. It's completely foreign to us. Right. And this is all prior to Constantine. Once Constantine <laughs> took hold of Christianity, it all went to, I don't know, to hell in a handbasket, basically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but the early church, and I, and I take this stance, like when I started studying the Constitution, I, it was important for me to understand what the founders meant behind the constitution, not just what the constitution said, but I want to know the meaning behind it. And I do that. I take that same line of thinking with, with uh, Christianity. I want to know what the early church thought and how they responded to the state. So studying that, and it's something that I've, I've just started doing work is super busy. So I haven't had a, a chance to get into it as much, but it's very important to know what they, they're, they were closer to this situation than we are. You look at somebody like Polycarp. He was, he was taught directly by the apostle John. And so if you can take what these guys are saying and understand how they view the state, wouldn't that make more sense for us to kind of follow that direction as well as Christians? Well, there's an interesting, you know, I, it's um, extremely loud by its absence, obvious by its absence. In they're under a very oppressive government. They're they're basically not only under the oppressive government, but also the the early Christians are under oppression from the the Jewish religious elite of, of the time, um, kind of from all sides. And what's interesting is how little is actually said about it, um, and that in itself says a lot. Um, there's uh, the thing they were concerned about was Judaizers bringing in false doctrine and bringing in uh, this workspace salvation type stuff. You got to go back to the law. They were concerned about that because it was directly against the kingdom of God. Um, you see very little apart from that. And, um, and that kind of speaks volumes on its own, I think. The workspace salvation. I'm glad you brought that up because it's <laughs> something that drives me crazy too, because how in the world do you think you can work your way into, into heaven? Yeah. We are incapable of doing that. Yeah, that's right. That was the whole reason for Jesus. I mean, you cannot, I could do my best to be as good as I can, a good person on a daily basis, but it's still not good enough. Right. All of our hope is in Christ. And that's, and that's what I say too. That's all of our hope is in Christ. And, and, you know, if you, uh, you know, when you get up to the, the heaven there, Probably not going to look and see if you registered as a Republican. So <laughs> there's a voting booth that you walk through the pearly gate. Yeah, I'm looking here. I'm looking here for most of your years. You were registered as a Republican, so I guess you're okay. You know, it's kind of a- you did good for a little while, Craig. So yeah. we're going to let you <laughs> in. You, you voted that's Republican right. for 16 years. That's good enough for us. Yeah, that's right. It is. You know, it's just funny how people equate certain things. You know, are Republicans good, Democrats bad? Um, you know, um, if you're if you're say, well, no, I'm, I'm not a Republican, then you must be a Democrat. You know, um, if you start criticizing something the Republicans are doing, then they'll, you know, if you do manage to get somebody cornered on something, then they'll go, oh, yeah, well, well look at what Nancy Pelosi did. And I'm like, going, well, who cares what Nancy Pelosi did? Um, that's not that might be bad. I don't want to say I don't care, but it's like, why are we going there? Why can't we talk about these these guys that are the heroes, almost heroes of the faith, although that's ridiculous to say, um, within the political realm. And why can't we talk about them without people thinking that, you know, obviously we're for the other team, you know? Well, actually, I don't care what Nancy Pelosi says. (laughs) I don't care what Donald Trump says. At least you're concerned. That's good. That's good. I I feel the same. I just go, you know what, guys? The, the, The thing that drives me the craziest is this whole 
this person will save us. Like I say, you could remove you could remove the names. You could remove Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden. You could remove all those names and put other people in those slots. And I, I'd still be saying the same thing. We shouldn't just be put. We just shouldn't be putting our hope there. That's just not where it is. Well, I mean, if you look like the, the the temptation of Jesus, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. If you look at the temptation of Jesus, and when Satan offered him all of the kingdoms of the world, he was given authority all of of the kingdoms of the world. As Christians, you ought to step back and say, wait a second. If he's got the authority of the kingdoms of this world, why would I want to be a part of it? Right. Jesus Jesus didn't dispute what Satan was saying, but he had no interest in it. He said, you know, he had no interest. Right, right. I, I say, if, you're, if you got an opportunity to affect good, okay, great. But I, we need to understand that as believers, we're always working from the outside in. We're not part of the inside. Um, you know, if you got a chance that... that some terrible things happening, you know, the mayor is doing something nuts and you got a chance to go down there and challenge that. Okay, fine. Um, but don't be a part of it. You know, um, it's a different system. It's a whole different kingdom and, and they don't mesh. It's like, I so said, they're going two different directions they're, And that's why I try to get people to understand. And, and like I say, in, in a group, it's difficult. Although even in a group, I can get people to kind of go, huh, maybe there's something to that. But again, they go home and they turn on their television or they, they go to their favored news sites online or their their particular group of Facebook friends, and it just sweeps back over them. You know, the panic, the fear, oh, we've got to get our guy in or we're all going to die. Um, you know, it's uh, the church is going to be, you know, this is going to happen to the church. And, and it's true under Constantine is when, you know, the church became very building-centric and all that kind of stuff and organization-centric. and. Um, some of, and that led into it because then the church really kind of got involved in the whole political world. Um, and all of a sudden the idea was that if the church infiltrates politics to a certain level, um, then we can basically make this world a Christian world. And that's kind of where this concept of a Christian nation eventually comes out of, which nations aren't, aren't, uh, you know, a, a nation is not something that gets born again, you know, um, individuals and people are, are get born again. Right. And can you imagine, and this is something that I, that I think about quite a bit, but can you imagine if Tertullian, Polycarp or John walked into a, a, your average church today in America, can you imagine how they would respond to it? Oh yeah. They wouldn't even, rec- they wouldn't even re- recognize it as a church. You know, I, right. I, I spent a lot of time and I spoke with this, with, uh, uh, Ruxy Cavi in his recent episode, but in a Southern Baptist church, it was normal yeah. to have a ceremony or to honor the military. It was normal to have the United States flag on the stage right. behind the pastor. It was normal to make, yeah. right. but looking back and yeah. even Tertullian said, shall we carry a flag? That's, that's against Christ, you know, and I don't, I'll yeah. just look at what, Jesus taught and compare it to what the government's doing. It's so, so, so contrary. It's vastly yeah. different than how they were back then. Yeah. And I call it, I basically call it nationalistic idolatry. Um, and that there is this, uh, spoke on it quite a bit here lately and, and particularly in the last year. Um, and I've been talking about it all for many years, but I think that's been a little more focused as of late, but, um, but you know, there's no, we don't have a flag up there in ours. And, but, traveling of course i say i've been to many many different church groups and um and you pretty much never see one without a flag up there um somebody recently told us that they came and started being the church says they're just so thrilled that there was no flag up front you know um to me that seems normal now because i haven't been traveling as much and that's not a thing at ours but um but most places that's just considered to be part and parcel of the whole thing that's part of church you know well, I remember sitting in a church service, when I don't remember it was Veterans Day or Memorial Weekend or whatever, but I remember us doing, they were asking uh, veterans to stand up so we could applaud them and thank them for their service. And then we had, then they, the, the, the pastor had us all stand up and pledge allegiance to the flag. Oh, wow. And the whole, the whole time we were doing it, like I said, it was just, it was normal to me. Like that's, we're supposed to be doing that as a, Christian nation. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But looking back and now, and, and this is, this is really pissed off a lot of uh, friends that I have or, or even family members. When I talk about this, we're not supposed to be doing this. 
it does, it's it's not it's not right. No, it's a it's a it's a multiple personality disorder thing where it, it's like uh, the two kingdoms are not compatible. That's the thing, and and what happens. The only thing that can happen when the church dives deep into that and thinks we're going to change things that way um, is compromise. There's no way around that. And um, and now, you know, in our day, we have a lot of uh, dominionist movement people. The idea that if we force our way into government, we can make the world a better place, create an environment where Jesus can return kind of thing. It's crazy stuff. But um but I mean, that's their hope. So that's what I say about the hope thing. Their hope is that somehow we're going to alter the world system to the place where it's, you know, great or something. And that hope just isn't there. Um, the hope is in Christ and the kingdom of God. And that's a different kingdom. It's entirely different. They don't overlap. I used to spend a lot of time driving around or just walking around waiting for Jesus to come back at any minute. Yeah. I bought into the whole rapture idea. I don't believe that anymore. But I used to think that, all right, just like you just said, there's so much like uh, like the end times prophecy type stuff. It's garbage. <laughs> the kingdom is already here. Yeah. You enter the kingdom of God when you're born again. Yeah. And but just like you said, they're they're waiting like if people. I would read newspapers looking at what's going on in Israel. OK, so Jesus is coming back anytime because this is happening in Israel, you know, and maybe they I don't know. Donald Trump, I don't know who's uh, spiritual advisors. What's her name? Oh, boy. Paula White. Yes, I was just talking about Dominion Theory. There's one of the wackiest ones. And how anybody listens to her and thinks that, boy, that's Christianity is scary. So, Well, I think that uh, uh, the government has done a very good job of perpetuating fear on people. So they feel like they have to be involved with this because they're afraid that if they're not, something bad is going to happen. Man, if you look at what the government is doing and how they act, man, it's bad. Yeah. It is bad right now. I mean, if you look at the whole COVID thing, the whole how they've locked people down and oh, yeah. shut people's lives off, their their ways of making money and you know to support their families, that is bad. I don't ever want to hear another person tell me that we are free in this country because that's baloney. It's a move of control, and it just shows how much. And, and I think that in some ways, a little bit of an experiment, and they've been surprised how easy it was to control the masses. But I was surprised how easy it was to control the masses, um, honestly. I, I didn't think people would buckle like they have. I, I agree. And, I, and, I, and I, I said this to a friend of mine, you know, back when all this started, I don't think anybody would have predicted that it was going to turn out how it has, has turned out. Right, right. Although it has been a great church growth thing for us because we kept going and, you know, a lot of the churches, well, probably the vast majority of the churches shut down for that, quote, two-week period back in the day. Um, well, we didn't close and uh, and we picked up a whole bunch of what I call refugees from other churches. So, so. <laughs> That's good, though. I mean, that, I think that's one thing that I've, is probably that I'm the most disappointed with right now is how the church is, has just accepted how the government is pushing them around. Well, and that tells you exactly how intertwined the two really are. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and that's, there's a confusion too. It brings us great confusion. And I, like I told our people, I said, why would, why would people in the world think we're any different than anybody else? I mean, you know, if you act just like the world and you put your hope in the government and you got all that sort of thing, um, you know, you, you'd buy into their definitions of prosperity and, um, and, you know, your guy can do nothing wrong. The other side can do nothing right. Um, this mentality is just is it's a blindness and it's it's almost hypnotic. The system is almost hypnotic. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it just it really it, it breaks my heart to see. I mean, I understood that people and this may I don't want this to sound bad, but I understood there's stupid people out there. But watching what's going on, I didn't realize how many stupid people were out there like it just a lot of times i say it's it's uh the power of wanting to believe something is true this is kind of a big mantra of mine um the the power of wanting to believe something is true is amazing um you know it's just uh where people are they desire so much to believe something is true like for instance you know we go over and bomb a bunch of countries it must be the right thing to do because we don't want to believe it's the wrong thing to do because that's rough so the power of wanting to believe it's true is is incredible and even intelligent people fall victim to this because they just want to believe it's true. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to believe it's true, but it's not. How do you think Christians turn a blind eye to this though? I mean, why, I, I don't understand because 
if you look, and I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier, if you look at what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and then you compare it to what we're doing, let's just let's just pick Yemen. Why in the world are we in Yemen? When has Yemen ever attacked our borders? Yeah. And we're over there blowing up their hospitals, their schools, school buses, shut down their water supply. The amount the, the cholera is spreading spreading in Yemen because they can't get clean water. We are doing this. Our government is doing this, and we keep putting these people in office. Yeah. If you think that anything's going to change, Donald Trump or the next Republican, or you think anything's going to change with Joe Biden, they're all the same. Yeah. Well, look at look at the um, Supreme Court. You know, the whole thing usually around election, it's around two things. One is our guy from our team, and the other one is the Supreme Court picks. And if you go through the records now of what the Supreme Court has done over the last, uh, you know, well, decades, um, just in the time I've been kind of awake and alert, uh, you know, they have all this hope. And here again, I come back to the thing of hope. They have, our hope is in we get these Supreme Court guys elect or put appointed. Um, we get them in there. The world's going to be great. Abortion's going to be abolished. Um, it's all going to be terrific. And I don't know how many decades you have to go through of seeing that not happen before you realize that. That's just not working. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Keith Giles, but he has a book called uh, Jesus Untangled. And in this book, he he talks about abortion being a, a shiny red button for the Republican Party. Right. And Planned Parenthood had its biggest year in federal funding and abortions last year under Donald Trump. And to think that the, they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade no, if they overturn it, they have nothing else to talk about. Right. And that, that's actually true of a lot of pro-life organizations. They want to get, you know, they, they, they fight for restrictions and some things because they can do that. But actually, the abolishing of abortion, don't necessarily want it because then they're out of business. So, so. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's how I became, a, how I started voting for Republicans is because of the abortion issue. And if you think, and if you think that the Supreme Court is going to overturn it, it's not going to happen. No, it's just not happening. And to be honest with you, the Supreme Court is not a legislative authority. No, and, and that shouldn't be seen as making law anyway. And that's uh, they told us, And yet you have, um, well, even these last two appointees, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, they both uh, made the statement when asked about Roe versus Wade. It's settled law. It's the law of the land. Um, well, who made that law? You know. Yeah, they, they don't have that authority. I mean, it's, if you go read what Thomas Jefferson, uh, his view on the Supreme Court, he didn't like them. And to think that they had some kind of a, a legislative authority, he was, he said, you're going to, that's not what they meant <laughs> by the Supreme Court. I mean, and I have, I've had Christians tell me that same thing. Well, we got to get a Republican so he can nominate a conservative uh, justice. We don't even have conservatives anymore. Yeah, and how does how, how's that work for you? You know, I mean, that's why it's just like... Exactly. It's like beating your head against a, a wall, just hitting your head against a wall. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Yeah. If anything, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can, go, you can go back to the very first president of the United States. He violated his oath immediately. Yeah. So and it's just progressively gotten worse. And now people don't even care about the Constitution. They don't care if their guy is... And I and, and, and this is, was very refreshing. It, I, I hated it, but this guy told me he goes, "We don't care if Donald Trump follows the Constitution. We just got to keep the Democrats out of there." I'm like, "Well, I, at least I, I appreciate you being honest. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. least being honest about it because even liberals and and on the left, I I have more respect for the left than I do the right because the left is more honest than the right is. Not that I agree with the left, but they, they're honest about what they're going to do. They're going to tell you and they're going to do it. And the Republicans are like, we're going to do it, but we're not going to tell you we're going to do it. We're going to talk about something else. Right. Yeah. We're going to we're going to say we're the ones that put the brakes on and we're the party of small government. You know, that's just you'd think people would just laugh hysterically when they hear that at this point. But, you know, uh, the party of small government. <laughs> hey, folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, 
and send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Now, do you get any kind of pushback from your congregation on your views on this? I mean, not maybe not as a collector, but like individually, do they come to you and say, well, what about this? Or do they, uh, they may not agree with everything you're saying, but how much pushback do you get? Uh, you know, I, I, again, I have a um, very relational way of, of uh, pastoring, I think probably a little more than in a lot of places than having been here 20 years. Um, and so I, I don't know that I call it pushback. I have people that uh, certainly question, and I, and I know many that disagree with me. And yet, they will listen to me. And like I say, in a, in a individual situation, if I'm just sitting there having coffee with them talking about this, uh, usually I can talk to them and they'll kind of come to a place of reason. Um, and then they'll just completely forget about that. And I'm quite certain, you know, I don't hear it obviously, but I'm quite certain there are, are groups them that get together and say, Oh, Benji's kind of crazy on this, you know, um, <laughs> you know, he's uh, he means well, but he's, just, you know, uh, idealistic you're a loony tuner tuner. he's not you know he's not realistic you know um you know he doesn't really understand how the world works so you know these kind of things like i haven't actually heard it myself but i i'm pretty sure it exists in some of those circles you know i i I mean i i welcome the questions because i like to be able to spark a conversation especially with you know one-on-one let's have a conversation let's talk about it because and I get a lot of I get a lot of it. I mean, even since we started this this project, I I get quite a bit of pushback. You know, I get messages privately through our Facebook page or just on my on my uh, personal page as well. But they, it's the people that are not engaging the debates. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's, and then that's one thing that I had to realize is that if I'm debating somebody, I'm not actually talking to that person anymore. Right. I'm talking to somebody that's that's paying attention because they they're questioning what's going on, but they and they they're looking for a, a better solution. Yeah. Those are the folks I'm talking to. So I had to take, keep that in mind yeah. because I can be a snark, man. I mean, I and I can sometimes it's hard not to be snarky to some of these people, and <laughs> I try not to be because I want to be as cordial as I can. I try to plant thoughts and questions and principles and concepts. And I do that both through preaching and and teaching and also individually, because, you know, you can kind of see when a light starts to go on. And I have had, uh, I have had um, a number of people who were at one point where I was uh, in the early two thousands who have come full circle and are in this place, but it took time. And, and uh, sometimes it takes some patience um, in the relationship and sometimes it has caused, uh, you know, some definite division. Um, but I, I really uh, believe that planning thoughts and questions and getting people to ask the right questions. I think a lot of the people wouldn't necessarily approach this with me, partly because they know where I'm at on it. So individually, they're less likely to bring it up. And one of the reasons for that is they know I'm not really going to argue it from a political standpoint. I'm not going to sit here and go well, yeah, Biden's this and Trump's that, and yeah, he'd be better on this than that. I'm not going to argue from that uh, perspective. I'm going to argue from Scripture and the kingdom of God. And they don't, they kind of realize they don't have an answer for that. You know, um, when you really do start bringing out Scripture and saying, what about this? And what about that? And what would, what did, you know, what did Jesus do? Um, you know, what was his proclamation to us? What, what, what are supposed to be our priorities? I just spoke on that this morning. Um, what are supposed to be our priorities in this world? And you start talking about that stuff and all this other stuff seems kind of silly and ridiculous. Right. Exactly. And there's a lot of ugly out there right now, man. A lot of ugly. And it's, it's, it's disheartening. But, you know, these these types of conversations and I think what we're doing, you know, having this conversation and other other conversations we have, like you said, we're planting seeds. And I think we're probably not going to see this in our lifetime on any kind of grand scale. Yeah. I, I But I do believe that later on, people that might listen to this episode with Benji Graves, they might be saying, wait a second, that makes sense. Let's start trying to follow Jesus like Jesus commanded us to i mean it wasn't yeah yeah. if you follow the words of jesus if you follow the teachings of jesus you will understand very quickly that government is is evil right 
period. That everything behind government is evil. And we're still saying, give us a king. We're, we're back to it. And that's, you know, what I always keep coming back to. And it's, I say that's on the YouTube channel. And it, and it, it is, you know, I think that it's at the heart of it, saying, give us a king. It goes all the way back to Israel crying out, give us a king. And here we are, the people of God now, um, crying out, give us a king. We want a king so we can be like the other nations. We want a king to fight our battles for us. We want a king to rule over us. And as you said, he then lists out, the Lord lists out exactly what that means and, and says, here's what's going to happen. And it's what happens every single time. And people keep chasing after the same thing over and over again. And then just to come to this idea of, well, America is the greatest country in the world. Well, I don't know. I guess people can sit around and debate this stuff. But that shouldn't be the criteria in any case for God's people. God's people should be, what does the Lord want us to do? He's our king. What are we supposed to be doing in light of that? Um, you know, what, do, and what do we support? What do we, you know, one of the reasons people ask, uh, they'll say, oh, you got to vote for this guy or otherwise this other guy will get in. I said, the problem with that to me is that a vote is an endorsement. You're legitimizing the state. Yeah. If I vote for something or someone, I'm endorsing it now. And, and I can't endorse something regardless of what's on the other side of that. I can't endorse evil. And so, and a vote is an endorsement, no matter how you look at it. Well, how many times have you heard the phrase uh, "the lesser of two evils"? It happens all the time, and and I, um, you know, I mean that's the constant. Yeah. Well, I had a, a friend of mine tell me one time that we were talking about that the lesser of two evils, and he goes, "Well, what is more deadly, one gunshot to the head or two? <laughs> I mean, that's a great statement. You know, I always say that voting for the lesser of two evils is still voting for evil. Um, and uh, but I mean, you know, okay, so you could come into the place if you bring it down to some smaller scale than than uh, national politics say, you know, it's the local mayor running or something. And I'm in a town of, we're in a valley of a half a million people or something, but, but we're in a town of a thousand people. Marsing's a little town, just kind of a bedroom community. So, you know, a mayor here is not really a, you know, a big consequential thing. But uh, let's say there were, there were two guys and actually one of them was really good and, and everything else. And I was said, okay, I really like this guy. If he turned out to be really, really great or whatever or something, um, you know, if you could do that, I'd say, okay, if there's this chance and the Lord led you there, maybe there's something on that level that you could do. Um, if you could honestly, in good conscience, do that. I said, but for the Christian, you've got to be pretty serious about, can you vote in good conscience for somebody? And what Christians typically do, and this is the sad part, is they shut down their conscience in order to be able to vote for that person. Um, they'll shut down their conscience and they'll, and it, because they're saying, you know, I'm so afraid of this other side or whatever that I'm just going to put my conscience and sometimes common sense out the window because we just got to get this guy in office or we're all going to die. And again, that comes back to where is your trust and where's your hope? Right. And I've mentioned this in, in prior episodes, but before I moved to Memphis, I was in serious talks with the Republican Party about running for state legislator mm. or state house. And I mean, I was there like I had some backing and I was going to go up against a Democrat that had been there for a while. And I didn't have a whole lot of chance because living in Fayetteville, which is a university town, it's a very liberal town. But I'm, in my mind, I was like, all right, I can do some good with this. I can get in there. We're going to we're going to promote the Constitution. We're going to promote liberty. And I have a friend of mine before I ever really started understanding anarchy and he's an anarchist, but he never talked about being an anarchist. And I would talk to him about it some, but I got so frustrated with him because he would not give me any kind of support for what I was trying to do is, you know, trying to run for office. And, and he told me one time, he goes, Craig, I'm going to tell you this. He said, I believe that you have a good heart. I believe that you have a good, uh, good intentions and that you would probably do good with this. He said, but you're trying to change the mafia from the inside out. That's impossible. And when I started thinking about that, I was like, you know what? That's right. Because, you know, in my view of the government is it's, it's a criminal organization. There's there's no way around that. They are they steal from us. They kill people. Yeah. yeah. Taxes are paid as, as extortion money to the mob. So it's like um, it's just like having a business in the inner city and you pay the mob for protection. Well, you're paying the mob for protection from the mob. Right. Well, they don't actually protect us either, though. If you think about it, look at if you look at uh, what's going on right now, like with all the protests, and I'm not, I'm not against the protests. I'm against all the violence and the looting and all that stuff. But if you look at how, like, some of these people are actually out there peacefully protesting, they're getting pushed around by police officers. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's they're supposed to be protecting. I mean, that that's a First Amendment issue. They're supposed to be protecting yeah. that. I mean, the police officers take the same oath that our politicians do. 
Right. But they're out there pushing these people around. There's a guy in Dallas. He was just walking to work. He was walking past a protest. He got he lost an eye because he got shot in the eye with a rubber bullet. He wasn't even protesting. He was trying to get to work. Right. You know, this this is the brutality of the government is just so gross to me. And the fact that Christians can get so up in arms about voting for their guy because he's got a special letter by his name is I, I don't I don't understand it anymore. No, and I, and I will say this from an encouraging standpoint. I do see at least, and again, my part of the society here, um, I see it changing some. I see people starting to go, wait a minute, there, there's a problem. And, uh, and they're starting to kind of get there. You know, we're seeing that lived out right now. We've had some things going through at the state house here in Boise Capitol. And, um, and I've had a number of friends down there to oppose some, some crazy stuff having to do with COVID the lockdowns and some of the terrible things. Our governor has been some of the more draconian, draconian things uh, out there is ruining a lot of lives. And the police are there uh, running out the people that are opposed, even though they're, they're just nonviolent. They're just calm. They're mellow. They're, they just want to be in a public meeting and they're trying to block all of that. And uh, it's, it looks like uh, SWAT teams and everything down there to try to block it all. It's just, it's a crazy thing. Well, if you look at, with everything that's gone on with with this lock these lockdowns, I saw a stat the other day that the alcohol sales has gone up three hundred percent. Suicide rates oh, yeah. are spiking. Like we were seeing more suicide rates. Like there was a, a point. It's probably still the case here in Tennessee. That at one point there were more suicide deaths than there were COVID deaths, and it all started with these lockdowns. My my brother just recently passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. And we are convinced, like he bought into this fear. He was totally, he totally bought into this, this fear of this virus. And he lost, you know, he got furloughed from his job. And, but he was afraid to go anywhere because of this. And it, I, I truly believe that the lockdowns accelerated his death. We've seen that in a number of cases. Yeah. If I didn't have a reason to dislike the government before, I damn sure do now. Yeah. And, you know, I had, uh, um, I had, uh, it said when this started out, when it started locking up and everything else, is that, you know, suicides, even though I, I pastor a, a church, not a huge church here, a um, hundred people, I'm connected with many, many people from all the years of traveling and the writing and all the stuff. And um, and so I'm kind of connected with, with other leaders, pastors all over the place. I, so I hear a lot of stuff and suicides are just way up. And I saw that coming. And also I've, for whatever reason, in the character of our ministry, we end up dealing with a lot of people who are struggling with addictions and all that. And that just skyrockets. Um, it's just, that was inevitable. And then as people are losing their businesses, losing their livelihoods, losing their houses, um, things just go off the charts. And that's that's where we are. And it's heading to a worse place. Yeah. And when you take folks means of supporting their family or feeding their kids away from them, they I mean, it's almost they're in a helpless state. And there, there was a town not too far from where I live. There were two teachers right after this started. And they were like, I'm talking about teachers. That are, they were married together. They were married. They both committed suicide and both had children. Wow. And so like they, they don't, they have to understand these people are trying to feed their kids and you're taking yes. their livelihoods away from them. They're, it's a, it's, it's so sad to me, man. It, it breaks my heart. And I, it's terrible. And even beyond the livelihoods, there's the relational issues, um, taking away relationships, taking away uh, their church families, if their churches went and closed down, all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, part of this is this whole control issue of trying to lead to the collective. And, the, and the, you know, I don't know if it, you ever watched Star Trek or anything, but you have the whole, um, um, you know, the board collective and you will be assimilated. You know, all of this we're all in this together stuff and everything else is getting us all to where it's almost like a, uh, you know, we, we serve the emperor and we're all in it together and we're all some kind of beehive or ant farm collective and instead of individuals. Well, they've, the government's done a fantastic job of getting the citizens to police other citizens with all this. stuff. Now I myself can't wear a mask. I have an underlying health issue that will not allow me to, I mean, I had to talk to a doctor about it to get, you know, I got a doctor's note and stuff. But I was sitting, when I got back from Fayetteville, I was sitting in the doctor's office on a Monday morning. There's another guy sitting in there. He had a mask on. He was fiddling with it. He was really sick of it. He just pulled it below, below his chin. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with no mask. I'm watching TV and this girl walks out. I'm not paying her any attention, but she's look. I can see she's looking at me and she turns a corner and goes to the, the front desk and she's, 
Then I hear her. She starts talking to the lady up there. She said, I'm going to have to report this. I don't know why they think they can sit in here without a mask on. Oh, yeah. And then my, then my, then my radar goes up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, she's talking about me. Yeah. So I, I ignored it. I didn't, I didn't say nothing. I just kept watching TV. She was walking out the door. She hooked her arm and came back in and she looked directly at me. And I looked at her and she said, sir, it says right here on this door that you're supposed to be wearing a mask. Why do you think you're not supposed to wear a mask? There are people that have to come in here and you are putting them in danger. And I said, wait a second. I said, you have a mask on your face. We're not within six feet of each other. What are you worried about? Right, right. So you need to understand that other people are coming in here. You might be putting them in danger. And I'm like, all right, first of all, not that it's any of your business, <laughs> yeah. but I have an underlying health issue that will not allow me to wear a mask. I said, my doctor knows about it. The nurses know about it. And the front desk knew about it. This was all cleared beforehand. And she goes, well, let's just hope that's true. And she turned around and walked out. And I'm so sick of this stuff, man. Oh, it's just, it's, it's insane. And right here, again, here in Marcy, we're a little bit, it's not as prevalent. It's still around, but it's not as prevalent. We went to Oregon here, my wife and I, just because uh, my brother and sister-in-law were in a motorcycle accident. They're kind of recovering from it now. But, but anyway, we're over there and you see it a lot more over there. Um, right here. If I didn't leave our little town, we, it's almost uh, and of course our church is not really in line with all that. But I asked myself, I, I said, how did this happen? How did how is it that it, they can just say wear a mask and all these people? Not only do they run out and wear masks, that's, that'd be one thing if they weren't telling me to do it. But um, but uh, how did we come to this thing where yeah, I'm getting I got emails and texts and people saying I was going to kill their grandmothers and all that kind of stuff because we kept the church going and and um, you know I'm basically become complicit in attempted murder or something by not wearing a mask or keeping a church building open. It's like just you know how did we get here? So I don't know, man. I think you know the government is pushes fear and people buy into fear and let's just follow Jesus. Yeah. No. Part of it, fear is not faith. That's something we've been talking about all the way. If, if your motivation comes from panic and fear, whether that's politics or, or uh, buying into this COVID stuff or whatever, um, if it's coming from fear, it's just not faith. Well, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. We were not created with a spirit of fear. Right, right. But above. <laughs> and I don't care if a person wants to wear a mask. If, I mean, have a ball. You can wear it wherever you want to, but just leave me alone. It's none of your business. They can wear a full uh, gas mask for all. Yeah. It's just a matter of, you know, I, I mean, it's just this whole idea of mandating all this stuff. And I just just can't believe that, that churches just closed down because uh, the government said to do it. Now, I understand early on there was a lot of rhetoric, a lot of stuff. You know, this thing was coming over. It was the plague. It was going to kill half the population, whatever. I understand a lot of pastors. And, and you know, I myself was going, what are we going to do? You know, one of the things that helped solidify me is the governor came out with this lockdown order. And then I said, well, there's no way we're closing down then. Um, <laughs> you know, it, kind of, it kind of solidified us on the other side. But it's uh, because for the government, the time when the government starts mandating that we can't meet as believers. I mean, it isn't about Sunday morning. It's not about Wednesday night. So I tell people um, it's about being able to gather as believers. And uh, and when the government starts saying you can't gather as believers, there's there's a problem. So, I mean, that's a that's an issue. Well. It's funny to me, and when a, like a governor issues an executive order, people take that as law, and it's actually executive orders don't apply to us. That's supposed to be for the executive office, and people just take that. Well, he said so, and even police officers that are enforcing these executive orders are violating their oath. You know exactly, and we got we did that. People kept coming and say it's the law. The governor issued an order, and and so it's the law. I said no, it's not the law. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's some guy up there in his place, partly because he got extra cares money from the feds, decided to uh, say, okay, you all have to close your stuff down. Um, well, sorry, not doing that. Right. Well, man, I really appreciate your time. This has been a, a, a fun conversation. And do you have anything you'd like to plug? You said you have a YouTube channel. Yeah, I do have a YouTube channel. They just search my name. It's Benji Graves, B-E-N-J-E. Everybody always spells it J-I because of the dog in the old movie. But (laughs) it's B-E-N-J-E Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S on YouTube. And then also on uh, SermonAudio.com. There's SermonAudio.com forward slash VCC. Um, that, uh, brings you into probably hundreds of messages and sermons. Awesome. Well, let's just keep, uh, preaching the whole no King, but Christ. That's right. Christ is our hope. and That that guy, that he is our King and let's, let's follow him and ignore what uh, government's telling us. (laughs) 
All right, buddy. Yeah. I really appreciate your time, and I I would like to do this again sometime if you if you don't mind. That'd be great. Awesome, man. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.